Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 44 of Greens with Envy. We're going to call this one Two Carolinas and One Georgia. That's just a map fact. There are two Carolinas and one Georgia. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, joined as always by my friend and colleague, Editor-in-Chief, Guy Cipriano. Guy, you put the format together on this one. How you doing? Good, but now that you read the title, and I'm the one that typed it in, it got me thinking, some people would argue that there's more than one Georgia. They would say that there's Atlanta and then everything else in Georgia. Right, but it's one state. It's not like we have two Dakotas, we have two Carolinas, we have one Georgia, literally, on the map. And we have like four Californias based on what I just saw when I was out there. Well, California is a whole other thing. We don't need to get into to all that. We do have a few quick housekeeping updates before we get into some news about turf legends, about various events, about trips to courses and people. And we are going to start with the GCI Tweet Up 23. My goodness, this is the 12th annual golf course industry tweet up. It's going to be on Wednesday, February 8th at the GCSAA conference and trade show. We will be at Aquatrol's booth number 2373. That's booth 2373. It starts at 3 p.m. Wednesday of show week, February 8th. We'll have a happy hour that starts an hour earlier. It is going to be so good, guy, to get back in person. We have not had an in-person tweet-up since 2020, and so this is a great reason to honor the 2020 one, two, and three winners. This is going to be a party. Really looking forward to it. It'll be great to have this back. Matt and the Aqua Trolls team did an amazing job of doing the videos and doing it virtually the last few years, but this is really one of the can't-miss events of the GCSA conference and trade show. I'm looking forward to it. If you want to nominate yourself or friends or colleagues, you can DM or email Guy or me. We are on Twitter. We are in email. Not hard to find Guy on Twitter at GCI Magazine Guy. No weird spellings there. I'm on Twitter, M-A-T-T-L-A-W-E-L-L. Email is G-C-I-P-R-I-A-N-O at G-I-E dot net or M-L-A-W-E-L-L at G-I-E dot net. Nominations due by Friday, December 28th. So get them in before the end of the year. The For Sure categories, and we could always add one or two, who knows, the John Kaminsky Leadership Award for Best, just total leadership on, on social media, and that is not just Twitter, that's all platforms, Best Overall Use of Social Media, Best Twitter Feed, Best Idea Shared, Best Video, and the Great, Great Conservation Award. Looking forward to seeing what comes in, looking forward to the 12th class of Super Social Media Award winners. And again, we will honor folks both online and in person. The in-person event, 3 p.m. Wednesday, February 8, 2023 at GCATS, the GCSAA Conference and Trade Show, will be at Aquatrol's booth 2373. Aquatrol's the 12-year sponsor of this event. Thanks, guys. And he's too humble to admit it, but the event will be hosted by one of the co-hosts of this podcast. Oh, We'll keep the uh, listener in suspense, but nah, no, we won't. Matt is oh, Lord. hosting GCI Tweet Up 23 right. like he did in 2020, right. and he did in 2021 and 2022, but just in a different way. In other news, Turf Heads Takeover. It is in the books. The Turf Heads Takeover 7th edition and the second annual uh, Turf Heads Guide to Grilling all out the door and on the way to the printer. This was amazing. We had what? We had 14 contributions, 14 stories by, I believe, 15 different superintendents and other turf pros, plus, was it eight or nine recipes in the grilling guide this year, Guy? Nine grilling recipes. And we won't be humble here. Just wow when you think about this issue. Uh, Amazing support that we get from people in the industry that want to write and share their ideas. And I'll give a little teaser here. One of the articles will probably make you cry. In fact, it made me cry twice. Oh, and this takes nothing away from anything you wrote or anything I wrote or anything any of our regular contributors or friends wrote for the magazine this year. I'm going to go so far as to say it is the best story we have published in print or online at least this year, at least this year. 
Um, you'll know it when you read it. It is just fantastic. And, and yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a tearjerker. It's, it's really well written. And it's written by one of your peers. Yep. Numbers to know what we used to call the state of the industry. That's going to be our January issue. Guy and I are currently reporting on that. Tremendous, tremendous industry response from superintendents, directors of agronomy, and all sorts of other turf pros from across the country and really around the world. We got quite a few from uh, Ontario and British Columbia and Alberta, all across Canada, a few from the United Kingdom. I think we even had one response from Saudi Arabia. Uh, So that's going to be great. Always a very, very helpful issue. We benchmark a lot of big points, big stats year to year, but uh, there's going to be some interesting themes this year about how we got stuff done, or more specifically, how you got stuff done in 2022. Should be a fantastic issue as always. And real quick plug for all the other podcast series on the Superintendent Radio Network. You are listening to Greens with Envy with Guy and Matt, where we talk about where we've been and who we've seen and try to shine a light on some courses that don't normally get some attention. Off the Course, where I talk with superintendents and other turf pros about literally anything other than their job. Beyond the Page dives a little bit deeper into the stories and columns in the magazine. Tartan Talks, wow, seven years and counting. Guy talks with members of the ASGCA about architecture and so much more. Real Turf Techs with Trent Manning, where Trent talks with all sorts of equipment managers and and equipment techs. That's a tremendous listen. Uh, We run one episode a month, but it is a weekly series that he puts up on his own feed as well. And wonderful women of golf now entering its third year with Rick Wolfel. Just all fantastic series, guys. We are uh, so lucky to have such a diverse collection of podcast series covering all sorts of angles of this great industry, I think. It's a great way to tell stories. We have a great group of people telling those stories, and we're looking forward to beefing up the podcast network even more in 2023, Matt. We are. News to me. Ooh. We're just going to get better. We're like a football team. We we have the pieces. We have the parts. We're just going to execute at a higher level. Just call you uh, Neon Guy Cipriano. It's all about the process. <laughs> All right, that's it. I probably turned away half our listeners by referencing something Nick Saban says, so stick with us if you're not an Alabama fan, because I am definitely not an Alabama fan. No, you're not. You're quite quite the contrary there. Um, That's it for housekeeping. Let's move on to a story that's going to be in the January issue uh, in column form. And this this is a bit of sad news. We're gonna we're gonna start with some sad news. We're gonna remember Carolina's turf legend Bill Anderson. We saw him. What not? Not more than a month and a half ago, maybe a month ago. Uh, it was a shock to hear that he had passed away. Uh, Guy, if folks don't know who Bill Anderson is, uh, who is Bill Anderson, and, and, and what has he done for the industry over the last 40 or 50 years? Well, this is a really tough one to talk about. Bill meant so much to so many people, uh, not only at Carmel Country Club, where he worked for 40 years in the top ter- turf position, not only to the Carolinas, did he mean a ton, but he even meant a lot nationally to the industry. And you did reference that column, and that column's already on our website. There's nothing I can say on this podcast that's any better than what Matthew Wharton wrote in his column about Bill and what he learned from Bill. Uh, it's already up on our website, golfcourseindustry.com. The title of the column is Forever Humble. Just give it a read. Again, I'm going to try to remember Bill here on the podcast, but I wasn't one of his peers. In fact, my first interaction with Bill came at this year's Carolina's GSA conference and show the Sunday before the show. This is even tough to talk about. I had the opportunity to play in a golf foursome with him and it was him, a former USGA green section agronomist and another uh, legend in the Southeast, Patrick O'Brien and the legendary, uh, turf publication editor in the Southeast, our friend Trent Bounds. What an honor it was to be in that, that foursome. And just looking back on it, you know, just talking about with Bill about playing golf with him in 2023 at Myrtle beach, he was going to include me in the group of 12 people that they had, you know, he, he sent a thank you email after the golf, just saying how much fun he had playing with us. He was 
a joy to be around for those five hours at, at TPC Myrtle Beach. And I learned a lot just by how he treated me. You know, I was kind of the newcomer to their group of 12. I was the young person. Trent had invited me to, to join their pre-Carolinas GCSA show, show golf group. So you're always a little bit apprehensive when you get invited to join a new golf group. You want to make sure that you uh, respect how they play the game. You want to make sure that you fit in with them, and you want to make sure that you know, it's just a good experience for them because you're the newcomer, you're the outsider. And he, melt, he made me feel like a total insider in their group from the moment that I shook his hand uh, at the area where they were dropping clubs off and getting golf carts. You know, he had, had a smile on his face throughout the round, was asking about uh, what golf course industry does. And obviously he's very familiar with, or he was very familiar with what we do and who we are, but asking me how the magazine was doing and what type of stories we were telling. And yeah, Bill, you know, to, to recap his career here, and there's no way we can possibly do it on a podcast uh, where we're talking about some other things too, but he was, think about this for 40 years, he was the head turf person at Carmel country club in Charlotte. Carmel is one of the most prestigious clubs in Charlotte, which is a city that's grown immensely in the last 40 years. Mm -hmm. it's, it's 36 holes. And to keep a job like that for so long is remarkable. And then he retired in 2013. So he got that job really young. He was 71 when he passed. Wow. So think about that, you know, retires at, at 63 around that age. And then since 2015, he had been the uh, Carolina's golf association agronomist. He replaced Dr. Leon Lucas. So he visited golf courses throughout North Carolina and South Carolina and provided his agronomic expertise. And you know, how fortunate are golf facility, Carolina golf association facilities to have someone uh, in an agronomist role, especially somebody that knew as much as bill, you know, visiting facilities and helping facilities. And there were so many things he did, he did that just really, you don't even think about how valuable they are until after the fact, like when there was winter damage that uh, hurt, the Myrtle beach market a few years ago, he's the one that goes in and consults and has to tell that story mm. to the media and the public and help golf courses, uh, develop a plan to get through that. You know, he, he saved a, his work helped and saved a lot of superintendents in that region. This tells you his impact. I mean, in 2008, which was 14 years ago, I mean, he received the Carolinas GCSA distinguished service award, which is the highest <laughs> honor you could possibly receive. Uh, just an amazing career. He was part of the USGA Green Section Committee. Him and Patrick O'Brien, you could tell, had an amazing friendship and bond that went, you know, extended probably four decades since Bill had gotten to the Carolinas. And he had those type of relationships and knew those type of people. And I remember that Sunday night after I played golf with him, we saw him in the parking lot at Myrtlewood going to right. the, this year's Distinguished uh, Service Award get together that was for uh, Danny and Alan and Randy Allen and you know, I introduced Bill to you and Jimmy and he was smiling and happy and talking about how much fun we had played golf. It doesn't even seem real talking about the fact that he he's no longer with us because it was so sudden and so un un unexpected. Again, give Matthew Wharton's column a read. If you're listening to this and you're in the Carolinas, I'm sure you probably have already heard people tell stories about Bill and his life and his impact. And he's somebody that's going to be missed for a long time. You can read that story, Forever Humble, by Matthew Wharton. It's online now at golfcourseindustry.com. It'll also be in the back page of the magazine in January. Bill Anderson, what a legend. We both hit the road in the last couple of weeks. I just got back from Syngenta Business Institute at the Grayland Estates in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, just off the campus of Wake Forest University. Beautiful setting, incredible instruction, and as always, just a great, great group of people. 24 superintendents from 16 states. The first time any women had attended since 2010. And there were three absolutely just breaking through the grass ceiling, as they like to say, women. We had Renee Geyer, uh, long time at Firestone, and now she's out in Washington at Canterwood Golf and Country Club. Jill Seymour at Charleston Springs Golf Course. That's in Lincroft, New Jersey, and Sally Jones, who is up in Minnesota at Benson Golf Club in Benson, Minnesota. Two of the three were actually guests not too long ago on the Wonderful Women of Golf podcast with Rick Wolfel. So, so many really, really bright, really talented turf pros. Some of them were really young, uh, as young as 28 years old. Uh, and it's, it's going to be really fun to kind of keep tabs and keep notes and 
check in with people and see how they apply what they learned. This was my second time to SBI. You've been there as well, and I was went to the last two virtual editions. Um, I, I love this week, guy. It, it's it's just a fantastic event that Syngenta puts on every year, and I know that uh, that our friends at that company were very glad to have that event in person last week. Matt, you obviously sat in on the formal presentations and educational sessions that were taught by Wake Forest faculty. Mm-hmm. But away from those presentations, what were the attendees talking about? What were some themes and pain points they were talking about amongst each other when you had a chance to have those informal hallway conversations or bowling alley or dinner reception conversations? It would be boring and not very helpful if I said that the number one topic of conversation was labor and how to find it and how to retain it and how to keep people on the crew and the course. But that is and I think will always be Number one, no matter if you were at a giant private course uh, or, or you know, a mom and pop or a municipal, that's everybody, and it's been everybody, uh, and it's going to continue to be. There was an interesting email that we got passed along to us by uh, Jimmy Clark, our new sales guy, about the number of golf courses that are new under construction this year, and I think it's, what, it's 54 across the country, and I think you made the point, Guy, that that number would be probably 50 to 100% higher if there was enough labor, enough folks working in the industry uh, to to build those courses. It's it's labor at every point. And so from- Not just golf industry. Think about how real estate is spurring some oh, yeah. of those new golf courses. So not only is there not enough people to build and grow in the golf course, it's the home construction side two that you need to have clicking. So think of all the labor involved that's to build a new golf course development. I mean, infrastructure too, getting water and sewage and other utilities there. So it's just not the golf side of labor that's holding up new golf course construction. It's it's overall general construction labor mm-hmm. too. So labor, obviously, number one. But it was interesting, and it always is, to hear how the educational sessions kind of pepper conversations at night in the after hours events, whether it's bowling or the round table discussions at Graylin or just hanging out and, and eating ice cream there. Ice cream's a big thing at Graylin Estates. Leading teams and individuals. That's a one of the six three and a half hour education sessions this year. Uh, leading across cultures and generations, very important. Effective negotiations and financial management, important to know that. Work life balance, always a popular session. And a bonus this year on leadership and decision-making. And part of it that's always interesting is how the leadership and decision-making, especially, and leading across cultures and generations kind of pepper those conversations among folks who maybe are newer to making those sorts of decisions. Folks who not too long ago came into some sort of leadership, whether it's leading the whole show or a superintendent under a a director. I, I get a lot out of just kind of listening in, kind of being on the periphery, not saying anything, but just listening to uh, to what turf pros are saying. And I feel like the folks who came out of there, the 24 folks who were there this week, are going to be more effective leaders just because hearing that, putting things into use and effect and, and practice. And again, uh, it be interesting to see how they follow up in the next three, six, 12 months. But Let's just say everything ties to people, whether it's finding people, leading people. Uh, those were the top conversations on Site Guy. As they should be. <laughs> yeah. You went to Georgia, uh, as you pointed out in the beginning, two Carolinas, one Georgia. We've discussed one of the two Carolinas. Let's talk about the Georgia. Uh, you went to Atlanta. You went to Atlanta Athletic Club. And they now have, as you have pointed out here with a really nice uh, booklet here on the table, they now have two distinct courses. Really fortunate to have an opportunity to spend close to two days in Atlanta Athletic Club telling the story of the renovation that they did on the Riverside course. But I also spent some time on the Highlands course. So if you're not familiar with Atlanta Athletic Club and almost every... Buddy listening to this podcast has probably heard the name Atlanta Athletic Club. It's hosted 
that last year hosted the KPMG Women's PGA Championship, has hosted the PGA Championship, has hosted the, the U.S. Open and a number of other major championships at its suburban Atlanta location. The club's history actually goes back 124 years. It was Bobby hmm. Jones's home club. You know, it used to be where East Lake is now, moved out to the suburbs in the late 1960s. You talk about being really fortuitous, too, to move out into su- suburban Atlanta in the late 1960s and early 1970s. Yeah. Talk about going where the people are. Yeah. That's, where, that's where the population well, has it, just, you know, boomed the me- last Metro five Metro Atlanta in, yeah. in general. I think Metro Atlanta is over 7 million people now. But especially the nor- north area, Johns yes. Creek, where... Cobb County. Yeah, yeah, where the campus is. Uh, it's 36 holes, so a lot of people... Listening to this podcast, are probably familiar with the Highlands course, the one that's hosted the major championships. But Atlanta Athletic Club also has had the Riverside course there for more than 50 years in that location. And this was a project that started earlier this year, but it had been in the works since summer of 2020. And it wasn't a project project that was going to be done because of COVID. Uh, John Stakel, the club's treasurer and Riverside Renovation Committee chair, was very clear when I, I spoke with him. This was something that the club had been looking at doing to improve the infrastructure of the Riverside course. And, oh, by the way, if you're going to improve the infrastructure, you might as well improve the golf experience, too. And one of the uh, great attributes of Atlanta Athletic Club is that it sits on the Chattahoochee River. But I had never seen the previous Riverside course. I've only seen this version of it that Trip Davis got done with about a month and a half ago. The the thing was, yeah, it's called the Riverside Course, and it's on the Chattahoochee River, but that asset wasn't being utilized uh, for the golf purposes of the property and also for the serenity and flow of the property. So you know, th- they interviewed around 10 architects, they were telling me. They you know had a list of 30, then kept on whittling it down, uh, hired Trip Davis to do the job. Trip is actually from... Atlanta, although he he lives in uh, Dallas and he's known for uh, being a golf great, really, at the University of Oklahoma, but he works all over the country. He's got projects in the Northeast. He's had some in the Southeast. He's got some going out West. He's he's built a really successful design firm, but to him, this was a huge deal to land a project at the Atlanta Athletic Club, especially growing up in suburban Atlanta like he did. He told a funny story to us that he actually played in a U.S. amateur qualifier at Atlanta Athletic Club when he was a teenager and did not make it to the next round of qualifying because he, I think he took like a, a, a 13 on a hole or made a really high number on a oh, hole no. that happened to be on the Riverside course, the course that, oh, by the way, he gets hired to uh, lead the infrastructural and design improvements there. So mm-hmm. told a funny story about that, but no, it's one of these things, and we're hearing a lot about this in the industry right now. Oh, if we're going to do the irrigation, if we're going to do the, the drainage, if we're going to improve the turf grass varieties, what else can we get done? Well, they got a lot else done at Atlanta Athletic Club. So, you know, Trip Davis gets hired to do the project. He basically lived there for three and a half months in the, re- or for three and a half days a week, lived in the residence inn. That was about 10 minutes from the club. Uh, overseeing the work, uh, Lucas Harvey's the director of agronomy there. He, got to Atlanta Athletic Club in 2015 after an ultra-successful run at PGA National. Lucas had also worked at some other high-level clubs, big course-of-scale operations in Florida, too. So they really had a director of agronomy who's been through a lot of different projects. That proved huge because you think about it, they start putting this in motion in the summer of 2020, you know, talk to architects, hire trip, broke ground here in early 2022, well, Lucas and the club did an amazing job last year once they knew that they were going to do the work. Early last year, started securing supplies and getting them hmm. on site, especially things like drainage pipe and irrigation mm-hmm. pipe and sand and gravel and the things that you need. They really started getting that on campus, and now they have a lot of locations to do that because it is a big, sprawling campus, not only with two golf courses, 18-hole courses, but a huge practice facility, par-3 course, uh, the athletic facilities, the pool, it's hosted major championships. So you got to have space to do things. So really eight, nine, 10 months before they got started, they started signing contracts to get their supplies. And boy, was that an amazing decision uh, by the club to get that going that early. And Lucas spurred a lot of that. So they had everything on site when the project started, but not only did they have everything on site, 
it was a lot cheaper when they ordered it than had they waited to order that. So that right. was a lesson, and I'm going to write a story about this. We can't possibly explain this in in one <laughs> one podcast, but or that's segment a, of a podcast, that's another yeah. thing that really impressed me was how organized the club was. How once they made the decision to do the project, they didn't really kick around on it. You know, obviously, you need some time to, to start construction. They found Landscapes Unlimited to be the contractor. Landscapes Unlimited works all over the country. Uh, maybe the biggest golf contractor there is in the world, if you look at the number of projects that they have done historically. Uh, and then it starts early this year, and they improve uh, the infrastructure, but also the way the river now is part of the golf course. I mean, there's now uh, holes that are hugging the river. Uh, there's a short par four. I believe it's number 14, right along the river. Great views of the river. The uh, The fourth green now is right on the river they didn't have any greens on the river until doing this uh obviously there's a lot that they had to be cognizant of in terms of environmental work and erosion control and those type of things so really the permitting process took a little while and it was very intricate because you're working around a natural resource right the chattahoochee river is the probably the greatest water feature that Atlanta and that part of Georgia has. I mean, there's right. songs that have been sung about the Chattahoochee and that flows. Yes. There are all these creeks that flow into it. And then the Chattahoochee, you know, flows basically through the city and where all the people live. So they had to be very careful of that. And I found it to be a splendid golf course. Uh, one of the few renovations I can remember writing about or visiting where the greens have actually been shrunk in size. And you're like, why hmm. would you do that? Well, they wanted to create a different st- st- uh, strategy than what was on the Highlands course, which, you know, has hosted the major championships. So they wanted a different type of challenge. And Trip Davis did that by incorporating angles and smaller greens and different angles that you could play into those smaller greens and then short grasses around the greens. Uh, the golf course is definitely more playable than the Highlands course. You think about it, a major championship course isn't, uh, necessarily member friendly all the time. No. It might be member friendly in terms of uh, course conditions and mm-hmm. challenge, but in terms of uh, getting through there without uh, having huge numbers on the scorecard, that's not the easiest thing. And you know, I had a chance to experience both courses. And uh, on the Riverside course, you you could make a mistake or two and get away with it and have a shot to to, to recover. On the Highlands course, if you missed a green by like six inches you were maybe in a pond or in a place that you didn't want to be so they have two different distinct golf courses now and we've talked about this before on this podcast and other podcasts at a 36 hole club why would you want two golf courses that were the same that looked the same that presented right. the same challenges that had the you know maybe besides some of your conditioning standards which are you know the conditioning standards there are as high as anywhere in the southeast because of the level of club that it is uh, besides those conditioning standards why would you want things the same if you had two different golf courses on property. And I just found the, the, the Riverside course to be super fascinating. You, you got off of it and you had a smile on your face and you were like, boy, if I had a chance to ever go around here again, these are some things that I would do different. Uh, zoysia grass is what they have in the fairways on both courses, obviously a phenomenal pl- playing surface. And Lucas Harvey and his team are top notch. Uh, Sean A. Church is Lucas's superintendent. Sean, actually, I wrote about last year, he was at the Governor's Club in Nashville. And then when Lucas's uh, superintendent, Trent Inman, moved on to take the job at Dunward, he, he was able to hire an experienced superintendent from the Nashville market that had been in Atlanta before. So you want a top position like Lucas Harvey has, you have to be able to delegate. You have to hire great people because you, you think about it, they have over a thousand members there that play golf. Those members have incredibly high expectations. The place has an incredible history. Bobby Jones, right? Like you go in the in the clubhouse there, and they have a Bobby Jones, not room, museum with his mm-hmm. memorabilia. And they have mm-hmm. a statue of him right when you pull inside the club gates. So his presence is omnipresent there. Like I said, the expectations are high, and Lucas cannot do this by himself. You know, you're dealing with members. You're dealing with boards. You're dealing with committees. You're dealing with project after project. There's always something that a club like that is looking to elevate. And I learned so much by spending time with him and Trip and some of the other club officials there. And I'm really looking forward to writing the story. Really interesting note there, too, just to backtrack for a couple minutes. My mom would be so impressed by Lucas and his ability to collect and purchase things when he found them. Uh, the planning on this project, and I do look forward, because you've told me about it even before this podcast, but I look forward to reading the story and, and diving into a lot of the details 
uh, with you as you write and I edit that. Just collecting, like you said, sand and all sorts of other items that you're products that you're going to need for a project. My mom growing up would would always, and she did this from little on, and she's still doing this. Uh, I won't say how old she is, but I just turned 39, so figure it out. She would always grab Christmas presents when she saw them. She she could buy Christmas presents in March or April, let alone October or November. A, there's less stress. B, the prices are probably, probably going to be more in line with what you want to spend. And then you don't have that stress of looking for things as you get closer and closer to the date. So mad props to Lucas Harvey and his team at AAC. And if you can afford to do so, that's a great blueprint for projects for anybody moving forward to have everything on hand just to relieve the stress, not even the financial aspect of things. Because again, prices are probably always going to go up but just to relieve the stress of looking for things as you get closer and closer to the start date. And when you're at a club of that level with that type of scale, yeah, sure, you're still a turf person, but you're really an administrator and an executive more than you are a turf person when Mm -hmm. you reach a level that somebody like Lucas Harvey is at. And another lesson here is if your facility, no matter if it's a land athletic club or a facility that has a modest budget, if you're thinking of doing some type of course renovation or capital improvement, regardless of the economic times, regardless of the supply chain situation, every day, week or month you wait to do that project, it's probably going to cost more. Right. So if you have this in mind, make the decision, do it. You're going to save money if you do it faster, if you have everything in a row and have your boards and committees and owners Mm -hmm. and customers or municipality, or whatever it is online to do it, the more you procrastinate about doing it, the more that you give more people input about doing it after you've made that decision, the more it's going to cost you. Yep. You also, in Georgia, spent some time at uh, Reynolds Lake, Oconee. Uh, Cool stuff going on there, too, it sounds like. This place is way too big to try to figure out in a day, which is about how much time I spent there. And it's way too big to probably discuss on a podcast. So we'll do right. it quickly. Okay. Uh, Reynolds Lake Oconee, you've probably seen the ads for it. If you've ever opened a magazine uh, on an airplane or even a general type of golf magazine, it's this 10,000 plus acre residential community about 90 minutes from Atlanta and I think 90 minutes from a place called Augusta. Yeah. And there really is a Lake Oconee. It's a lakeside community that has, um, like I said, 10,000 acres. And in those 10,000 acres are six golf courses. And one of those courses has 27 holes. So over 100 holes of golf here. And Lane Singleton, who is the vice president of agronomy. So the club... And community is so big that they have a position called vice president of agronomy just for Reynolds Lake Oconee. And I I spent some time with Lane, who's a remarkable person, another person who has to be super organized, another person Mm -hmm. who is more of an administrator and executive than he is a turf person anymore, although he still knows his turf very, very well, told me that, you know, there are over a thousand acres that encompass golf ground. There are things that his team is responsible and his team has around 125 employees right now has a golf course superintendent and assistant superintendent for all six courses. So they're run sort of as their own operation within this bigger operation. Although they do things like plan their agronomic programs and their cultivation programs and their course closures in conjunction with one another. And Lane is the point person there who all the you know, superintendents report to. And, you know, he does the big picture stuff and lets his team run the day-to-day stuff on each golf course uh, the golf courses have, they're all different from each other too. I mean, the first one opened in 1986 and the most recent one opened in 2007. So you have golf courses from different eras with different architects and no way was I able to consume all this in one day, but I did get, and this was kind of cool, a pickup truck tour from Lane. And then he handed me <laughs> off to Brandon Hayes, who's the superintendent at the Great Waters course, which is the one that was most recently renovated and has the most lakefront holes most folks could not get away with 
driving around a golf course in a pickup truck. You did that day, though. And they're flourishing, too. You talk about the uh, real estate boom in the Sun Belt. Uh, they're building homes there quick. They're selling lots quick. Uh, the number of rounds of golf in 2022, according to Lane Singleton, is going to approach 200,000. And just three years ago, they were doing somewhere, I think he told me, around 130,000 rounds. So you talk oh, about having Lord. to scale your operation yeah. and scale it up quick. You know, the homes in the past had been, you know, the second or third home or the winter home for a lot of the members or the, you know, the shoulder season home. They're seeing a lot more people live there year round. And even though you have a lot of bodies and a lot of resources and a pretty significant budget, that's tough to change your operation like that, that quickly with no notice. And Lane and his team have done a phenomenal job of it. And, you know, they have some courses that are overseeded. They have some courses that aren't overseeded. They have some bent grass greens. They have some Bermuda grass greens. They have some zoysia grass fairways. They have some Bermuda grass fairways. They, you know, rye grass with the overseed fairways. So they have everything going on there. And it's a place I would definitely like to visit again when I have more time. But I learned uh, a lot from Lane Singleton and Lucas Harvey on that trip about how to think big. And when you reach that level, how the, the job changes and what it takes to succeed in some of those bigger jobs in the industry. Like you said, probably too big to discuss even on a podcast. So touch, touched on it hit the surface level. I'm sure there'll be more to come uh, in 2023. Do you want to wrap up two Carolinas and one Georgia by going back to the other Carolina? We talked about North Carolina. There is a South Carolina. You and I were both there not too long ago for the Carolinas GCSA conference and show. A great few days in Myrtle Beach. Weather was really nice this year, actually. And you have a couple of bullet points. I think we're 100% in agreement on this. There is a huge value of the regional trade shows, especially in an era of rising costs. Everything, everything costs more these days. Memberships, uh, registration, booths, uh, products, equipment, everything costs more and more and more. And one of the things that the Carolinas show did this year, and a big, big shout out here to Tim Krieger, who heads up the Carolinas GCSA, is they kept the price the same for 2022 compared to 2021. That's huge. You can't put into words really what that means in this era to give your members of an association the basically the same value they were getting before for the same cost when you think about how much more it costs to do anything. Mm-hmm. And I hope that superintendents and assistant superintendents and other people that work in the Carolinas realize how fortunate they are to have that type of an event that they can drive to, which flying isn't cheap right now. They can you know, stay there two or three nights at most. And also, it's not peak season in Myrtle Beach, so it's a little bit more affordable to go to Myrtle Beach in November than if you were trying to go, let's say, in May or June or you know, some other, other time. Yeah. They're so lucky in that region to have that event. And it got me to think how much it costs to go to national events mm-hmm. right now. Think about what a tough ask that is for a lot of golf course superintendents. If your club is covering it, you know, trying to fit that into the budget, you know, whatever the plane ride costs to, to the national event, you know, four or five nights of a hotel near a big trade uh, a big convention center in a heavily populated area. Yeah. Food. Probably not a rental car, but an Uber. And those aren't cheap either. No. You're looking at like, you know, even for like a two-mile Uber ride right now, you're looking at spending at least 20 to 25 bucks mm-hmm. per, per ride. It is just <clears throat> so expensive to travel to a national type of an event. And then on top of that, you have to register and pay for education sessions and the, the the trade show, and then you look at what the cost of golf is if you're going to go down somewhere warm and pl- play in January or February. That isn't cheap. It's just amazing that the Carolinas GCSA was able to offer that type of value to their members in such volatile times where it's costing so much to to travel. And you know, we'll see the same thing 
in March when we go to the New England show and what a value that is for those superintendents. And there are also some smaller ones that go on. The Ohio Turfgrass mm-hmm. Foundation just had their event. So if you live in an area that has a regional or a state event, I mean, support that. You're so lucky to have that. That's an affordable way to get you and your team some continuing education. You know, it's so tough to justify the cost to an international event right now. You know, we especially think about there are a lot of people that go to the GCSA conference and trade show that pay for that out of their own pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, their club doesn't even pay for it, but they're going to benefit their career and right. make to those connections and betting on of, themselves. Think of the, about that. There are people spending, I don't know, two, three, four, five, six thousand $6,000 to go there for a week to better, better themselves. And that isn't, again, traveling isn't going to get any cheaper. No. Either too, I know that every time Matt that I fill out an expense report here, which was uh, <laughs> which has been a lot lately. Been a few. So have you too. Yeah, so yeah. really lucky. Uh, I know I keep saying that, but yeah, the Carolinas GCSA show what they pulled off this year, giving all the factors around them was really remarkable. And Matt, when we were in Myrtle Beach, we got to see some golf courses. You got to see Wachasaw Plantation Club for the second time, and yeah. the Arrow Club for the second, for the second time. time. So what did you learn about the Wachasaw Plantation Club playing at the the second time and what superintendent Scott Fretz and his team do. Well, I remember, and we, we don't ever start on hole number one cause it's a shotgun and, and that the Carolina's golf outing is three courses. They're all full. So if you're lucky enough to start on one fantastic, but I, I don't know. I think we started on 14 or 13 or whatever this year, 17 and 18, the last two holes there, great two finishing holes. Um, really, really well, designed and fun to play but you know me i i enjoy golf but i enjoy everything else about it more i enjoy the people we're with i enjoy occasionally making shots but you know i'm not like our sales guy jimmy who is either a scratch or a one handicap depending on the day um you know i'm looking at, at various things and and scott and the team there just had that course in top condition i think even more than 2021 when we saw it last just impeccable the weather helped but every every curve every time you you ran down a fairway uh just an, an incredible course and we've we've talked about it the second or third or fourth time you see a course you you do notice more and i should have taken better notes but uh, in terms of just looking at that course and appreciating it more, uh, you're familiar with it, so you can focus on just soaking it all in. And I, I think I think we did. I think golfing with who we golfed with helped too, and that was Pinehurst number six superintendent Jerry Everett. Could not have been nicer. Uh, we really lucked into into a great playing partner with him. Or he got unlucky getting paired with us. Well, you know, two sides of the coin. And Jerry and his team got to do something that nobody had done before this year. They hosted the first so cool. USGA Adaptive Open on Pinehurst Number 6. So cool. And they've got the second one coming up next year. It's going to be – they get at least the first two, which is awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun playing with him. And, yeah, that was the third time I played Wachasaw Plantation Club. Uh, Scott Fretz and his team do a remarkable job. I can't imagine how tight labor must be in Myrtle Beach when you're talking about the whole entire – Economy is based on tourism and hospitality. 17 million so golf holes, I think. Think of all the competition to find people to work on an outdoor landscape when you have so many other places that they could work. And I call it an all-day, everyday golf course. That's one of those places you could go to whenever and find something different and interesting about it. And the closing stretch really is remarkable. So it's a Tom Fazio design, but Mike Strantz worked there early in his career. In fact, Mike Strantz designed True Blue and Caledonia, which were the other two courses used for the Carolina GCSA Golf Championship. And we started, Matt, I have this memorized, on the 14th hole. It was 14, okay. Which is a short par four with a blind second shot into a green with mounds in front that has a <laughs> severe, I mean severe, uh, front-to-back slope. So it's a really fun to play Par four, and then we went on the 15, which you hit a tee shot between the sh- the shoot of just ginormous live oaks, and then you have this uh, really fun approach shot to play to a green that has a huge mound 
uh, embankment on the right and everything funnels left and the hole even curves some left. I almost, yeah, really, really awesome hole. And then 16 is just a brute of a par four, probably the hardest hole in the golf course. Number 17, an epic par three mm-hmm. with some of the deepest, most intricate grass bunkers. Oh my. Uh, on the right. And if you go short right, you're, you're in those things or even you're, you're going down to a pond and then 18. And there is, might be, there might be gators in there. I'm not sure. Oh, uh, we saw one. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a big one, but we saw one. And then 18 is an epic par, par five that, you know, you, you hit your tee shot over this pond and wetland area. And then on the left, you have wetlands going all the way to the green. And then behind the green is the, uh, one of the rivers with the all time great name, the Wakama mm-hmm. river. And it's just an amazing setting. I want to say to end a golf round, but we've never even come close to ending a golf no. round there. It was, no. uh, our fifth hole, <laughs> uh, real, really awesome course to play. And then you got to see. The Aero Club short course for a second time, Matt. And we started in daylight this time. We played everything under the lights last year. So seeing it in daylight was a little different experience. You're able to hit your shots a little better. It's lighted. So... So you can still see, but obviously the lights are going to play with your eyes and with the shots a little bit. So to start in the daylight absolutely helped to play with two new people. Russ came down this year, national sales manager, Russ Warner, Jimmy Clark, new to the team this year. So they both saw it for the first time. And so you can see the entire course basically from one vantage point. But to go around from hole to hole, shot to shot, it, it's a tremendous experience. Uh, the work that, that Danny Allen did there, to get that up and running is is just tremendous, and well, I hope I hope we get to play it again next year. Well, yeah, and they had a team of uh, longtime agronomists involved in the project. Oh, right? yeah, like Andy yeah. Apple and yeah. his company owns the golf course. You know, he's a longtime agronomist and superintendent. Yeah, Danny Allen was the the superintendent. He kind of did it on a volunteer basis. In fact, we met Danny's wife at the uh, trade (laughs) show and she's basically forcing him to retire from that job. Danny, as we said, was a distinguished service award winner, uh, had a remarkable career at Camden country club and some other places. And was, you know, the arrow club is, well, if you listen to his wife, his last job in the industry, who knows how that's going to go right now. It's the quota to his career, designed the golf course or played a big part in the construction of it. So, Industry people yeah. built that course, and that's going to be a future short course stories profile in Golf Course Industry Magazine, yeah. and uh, things have really picked up, and you think about it, right? A lot of people go to Myrtle Beach. They play. They go on these golf trips. Maybe they don't want to play 36 regulation holes a day. That is a long day. I go on golf trips with my friends, and some of us can handle it, and some of us can't. But maybe now people go down there, and they are going down there and playing 18 regulation holes, and then go and play playing the Aero Club at, at, at night. So it was cool to see that a second time. We'll see it a third time next year. I guarantee we'll get over there. And I saw one other course, Matt, and this goes back to the uh, earlier part of the podcast. And, you know, sadly, that round was played with uh, Billy Anderson. I mean, sadly that he's no longer with us. I mean, it was a happy round of golf. That was at TPC Myrtle Beach. Uh, Mike Weinrich is the superintendent there. And it was kind of cool because TPC Myrtle Beach, a late 90s, early 2000, Tom Fazio design, uh, designed for tournament purposes. The PGA Tour champions had played tournaments there in the past. Dustin Johnson has a golf academy in school there, which mm-hmm. that, that fascinated me getting there with it, having the TPC name on it. I was wondering if all the uh, Dustin Johnson stuff would be scrapped from there, but he still has his golf school there. They still mm-hmm. have memorabilia of his in, in the clubhouse, so that relationship is uh, still in good graces. Of course, Dustin Johnson played his college golf at Coastal Carolina. He's from South Carolina. He's another Carolina's golf legend. Mm-hmm. Go Chanticleers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was TPC Myrtle Beach. Uh, overseed it. Uh, Wachasaw Plantation Club did not. So it was kind of cool on that Sunday and Monday that we were down there in Myrtle Beach to see an overseed at golf course and a non-overseed at golf course. And they both work in their own cool way, <laughs> and they're both beloved by people that play those golf courses. I also saw a little other golf. We played some of it together, but of the miniature variety. For the second time, you and I played the 27 indoor-outdoor holes at, uh, what is it, Cancun Lagoon? It's an indoor-outdoor Incan, Mayan pyramid. It's it's really fun, really cool. Almost got a few aces. Uh, that was fun. 
But I finally played, and you can see it from one of the main drags, and it is enormous. I don't know how they built this, but I finally played Mount Atlanticus Minotaur Golf, 36 holes, almost all of it outdoors. It's built up over four levels. There's stairs, there's mounding, there's an elevator. There's actually a lot of good golf shots, and it's a really nice miniature golf course. I highly recommend it, and I look forward to playing it with you in 2023. One last question, man, yeah. before we go. What did you learn from the miniature golf operations that you were at that could help our readers with their own operations? Well, I think the big thing is to be ready for anybody to I – mean, and this is obviously not applying to, to exclusive private courses, mostly mostly the municipals, the, the publics, the mom and pops, is to be ready for anybody to come in at any time and to have everything ready uh, to the best that you can at all times. I felt like the courses that we played were in, in pretty good shape and, and, you know, they're carpet, but you still have to outdoors squeegee it out. You have to make sure there aren't, you know, broken holes. There's not little ongoing construction projects, um, things that don't need to be blocking off. Uh, and, and just obviously it goes without saying, just be personable. The, the folks who we had, more so at, at one course than the other, I won't, I won't say which, welcome you with a smile, uh, always cheerful, uh, conversational. It doesn't, take, it doesn't take much. You know, most people are not going to talk your ear off. Miniature golfers are like golfers. They'll relay and replay great shots. But even if they do, it's what? It's a minute? It's two minutes? That, that costs nothing, and it makes people feel good. So uh, be personable. Listen, be cheerful, smile. Doesn't doesn't cost anything. If you have employees that greet people with a smile on their face and have cold drinks behind the counter, who knows where that's going to take your business? Because I have no idea what we spent at Cancun Lagoon because that was Russ's part of the expense report. (laughs) But I guarantee you, we spent more there than we anticipated spending there when we got there that night. We played twenty seven holes, four people, and I don't know how many drinks you guys had. At least a couple. I drove so. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we've been uh, all over the southeast. We're here recording this in December. We're going to be home here for the next few weeks, maybe even, you know, the next month. But we'll be back in January. Maybe in January, Matt, we'll do some type of industry headline type of greens with envy. We'll find something because I don't foresee us going anywhere in the next 3 or 4 weeks. Well, there at is least a little, places that have golf. There is a little event I might go to in Salt Lake City in about four weeks. Haven't finalized that yet, but probably. But probably. Yeah, I'm Guy Cipriano. That's Matt Lowell. Thanks for listening to number 44. Reggie Jackson. Greens with Envy. I have a feeling that might be my next like nine-hole golf score or something uh, with having this little <laughs> bit of layoff here. But, no, we appreciate everyone listening, and we look forward to coming back with more of this podcast in 2023.